Hello, this is Gregory Novak. This is The Cunning of Geist, Episode 27. Welcome back. Please follow me and comment on my Facebook page, at Cunning of Geist. Now, just, I want to take a moment before we get started to restate my overall general objective for all the episodes of this of this podcast, and that's to provide a perspective on philosophy, science, religion, both old age and new age, history, psychology, and other topics of interest, but with a special focus on Hegelian philosophy. And in particular, a key premise of mine is the important role of mind in, uh, in humanity and in the evolution of, of humanity. So with that being stated, let me talk a little bit about the word mind. And uh, what, what I'm referring to here is what's been called through the ages um, nous in, in, in ancient Greece, ruach in, in Hebrew, and geist in German, the language of Hegel. So the title of this episode is um, The Truth of Nature, the Historical Movement of Spirit. And I had a discussion recently with a professor regarding spirit and just what is meant by that term. And a question came up, is spirit something that descends into the material world or does it inherently belong in nature? In other words, is spirit an unchanging grand designer sitting somewhere calling the shots or does it actually change through history? And we'll be just exploring this important notion in, in this episode. But first, being good philosophers, we must address just what spirit is. What, what does this word mean? Well, um, the German word for spirit is Geist, and that's the, um, what we're going to be for, referring to here. And Geist is generally uh, translated as meaning both mind and spirit in English. Geist now has many connotations. I'm going to list some, and, and uh, I used Michael Inwood's A Hegel Dictionary 1992 for help here. It was quite helpful. And also, there's a copy, a PDF copy of this book at the Hegel Study Group on Facebook, uh, for those that might be interested, a Hegel Dictionary by Michael Inwood. Now, Geist is, um, as I said, spirit in German, and it uh, comes from the word ghost originally, but it's more closely aligned with the English words today of spirit and or mind. It sort of comes together in one package. Um, It's one of those German words without a precise equivalent in English. There's so many. Yiddish has as many as well. Um, And that has caused translation and understanding problems to this day. In English, spirit can mean many different things. It can refer to the Holy Spirit in Christianity. It can refer to a spirited, vivacious nature of someone. It can be used in the plural, as in restoring one's spirits. It can talk about our baser instincts in terms of our animal spirits. Spirits, as you know, can also refer to alcohol, alcoholic spirits. There's some interesting stories here. According to one source, this goes back to Aristotle. In Bar Smart's Advanced Handbook by DeGrad, Wondrick, and Picoult, they claim, quote, Aristotle wrote about this process in 327 BC, but we have no proof that his fellow Greeks distilled spirits on any significant volume level. Nonetheless, he was the one who gave the name of spirit to the product of distillation. He thought drinking a distilled beer or wine put spirits into the body of the drinker. Now, I cannot find a backup reference to this, but I'll go with this quote from Bar Smart's Advanced. It's, it's quoted uh, quite frequently. 
Now, also, the word alcohol seems to be derived originally from the Arabic cool or alcool, which can be associated through spirit um, if you go back far enough. And this is per Stephen Guth, professor of Arabic at the University of Oslo, as he reported in Science Daily. Now, Hegel also himself referred to the truth as an, an intoxication. This is from the Philosophy of Spirit, preface, paragraph 47. The true is thus the Bacchanalian frenzy in which no member is sober. And of course, there is the popular use of the term Geist in Zeitgeist, the spirit of the age. Now, as I said, the lack of a precise equivalent term in English leads to a problem in understanding. Um, in English, we tend to divide the mind, meaning more intellect, rational thinking, the brain, where spirit is something metaphysical, weird. To a hard materialist, it doesn't exist at all. So this is why it's very important to address this head on. Now, back to the original question. Does spirit fall into nature? Does it descend like a dove from above? Or um, is it within nature from the get-go? Well, to answer this, we have to go back and look at how Hegel uses it in his overall system. Hegel's system is expounded fully in his Encyclopedia of Philosophical Sciences. That's his most mature work. And his encyclopedia has three parts. The first is logic, the second is nature, and the third is spirit. So those are the three sections of, the, of his encyclopedia. Logic is pure rationality, pure metaphysical mind. It begins with presuppositionless being and ends with the concept of the idea. It is timeless. It logically precedes nature, but not in a time sense. It's, it does so in a logical sense. Nature comes next. It is the negation of logic. It's the other of logic, if you will. And Hegel contends that nature is freely created by logic, by the idea. But this can be taken in different ways. It can be looked at as a creation out of the biblical creation or perhaps in the, um, as the, as in the scientific Big Bang. Or it can be looked at as a metaphoric expression of the idea being the underlying foundation of nature. Now, we dealt with this issue extensively in episode 15, so I won't repeat it now. But our concern at the moment is what happens at the end of nature, at the end of the nature section of the encyclopedia, leading into the third and final section, that of spirit. Well, Hegel is very clear here. Both at the end of the nature section of the encyclopedia, as well as the beginning of the next section, the spirit section, which follows Hegel states that spirit is the truth of nature. Let me quote Hegel specifically on this. First, from the end of the nature section, paragraph 298, quote, In this way, nature is passed over into its truth, into the spirit, end quote. Now, in the very beginning of the next section, the third section, the section on spirit, he begins the very next paragraph, 299, with this quote. Spirit has for us nature as his presupposition, of which it is truth. So, what does Hegel mean by truth? Well, in the Phenomenology of Spirit, paragraph 48, he claims truth is its own self-movement within itself. This is what he means by truth, self-movement, life, purpose. Spirit is the life, the purpose of nature. This is what he means by the truth of nature. Spirit has nature also as its presupposition. And this is important. If nature is the presupposition of spirit, 
then if there's no nature, there's no spirit. It's not something that exists on its own up in a cloud somewhere. Well, not even a cloud because the cloud is part of nature. But no, spirit is part of nature. It is the truth of nature. It's the, uh, the purpose of nature. It's fundamental to nature. Now, it's very important to realize this is what delineates the difference between the logic, the first section of the encyclopedia, from spirit, the third and last section. Spirit is logic existing. It's existing logic. It's not some abstract thing, concept. It's actually existing and it's driving nature forward. Now, as we've discussed, spirit being the truth of nature has three levels and Hegel goes into this in the spirit section. The first level is subjective spirit. The next is objective spirit. And the third is absolute spirit. As we covered before, subjective spirit is viewed as personal psychology, if you will. Objective spirit is how these individual souls come together in a community with laws and rights, how they best organize themselves. And absolute spirit is how spirit comes to know itself. And that's its purpose. It does this in three ways, through art, through religion, and through philosophy. And it's this last part, absolute spirit, is where the, the core of its purpose lies. It, it, it's coming to know itself and to go beyond itself through art, religion, and philosophy. Now, there is a sense, however, um, in which spirit can be viewed as timeless, as well as a sense in which spirit can be viewed as historical. So uh, perhaps the answer to the question is, it doesn't descend, but th th there is a, a timeless element to, uh, to spirit, and that has to do with teleology or purpose. There's one purpose, and that's for spirit to know itself. It has this one purpose. So, you know, we discussed substance as subject in episode 24, and this purpose does not change. However, this is a concept only. It's not an existing reality. It can't fulfill its purpose in just by thinking about it. It has to experience it and, and, and come to know itself explicitly. Now, on the other hand, there's a historical development of this purpose, and this is the evolution of, of purpose in the real world. You know, the one purpose is an abstract concept, and just like the first part of Hegel's philosophy, the logic is abstract, it needs nature in order to become concrete and truly existing. It needs to discover itself and come to truly know itself, to become real through nature. And becoming real is a process. It's it's never ending. Let me just give some some examples of abstract versus concrete. Um, if I read a recipe for a certain dish, I understand it abstractly, but it's not till I make the dish and eat it that it becomes real. I can study a piece of sheet music and understand how a score is constructed, but it's not until it is played that the music becomes actual music. I can read a script for a film, but it's not until it has been filmed and the movie shown that it becomes real. Same with the logical idea. It is no concrete reality. It is only abstract it needs to negate itself through nature and come to know itself through spirit. Um, and it does this through art, religion, and philosophy, as we've discussed. Now, there's some interesting quotes on just what is going on here in spirit coming to know itself. I know it sounds like a buzzword, sounds nice and warm and fuzzy, but there's actually a lot a lot there. And this is what's, what's driving history. A good quote here is from the Encyclopedia, paragraph 13, Right in the introduction, I quote, 
But the history of philosophy gives us the same process from a historical and external point of view. The stages in the evolution of the idea there seem to follow each other by accident and to present merely a number of different and unconnected principles which the several systems of philosophy carry out in their own way. But it is not so. For these thousands of years, the same architect has directed the work, and that architect is the one living mind, whose nature is to think, to bring to self-consciousness what it is, and, with its being thus set as object before it, to be at the same time raised above it, so to reach a higher stage of its own being. The different systems which the history of philosophy presents are therefore not irreconcilable with unity, end quote. So Hegel here is speaking to the one living mind as being the architect guiding the process. But again, this is a metaphor. It's not something separate, but it's something within. It's the inner purpose, if you will, an inner mounting flame. It's the inner teleology that drives everything forward. And a key point here is that Hegel is saying that uh, in the process of observing itself, spirit at the same time rises above itself so that it is continually evolving. This is uh, related to the concept of true infinity that we discussed in detail in episode four. Spirit is not just observing itself through art, religion, and philosophy and saying, ah, all is good, that's good, done, it's finished. Now, it continually seeks to better itself. It is a process, it's not a thing, it's a never-ending process. That is why I don't buy the end-of-history argument proposed by some that study Hegel. And many members of the Hegel study group on Facebook do not buy this argument either. There can never be an end to continuous improvement. Inwood, in his definitions book cited earlier, had a very clear statement of spirit and evolution. He says that there are, quote, three special features of Geist. A, it involves no underlying thing or substratum, but is pure activity. B, it develops by stages into successively higher forms primarily by reflection on its current stage, and C, it takes over, both cognitively and practically, what is other than itself, nature, as well as lower levels of Geist, and realizes itself in them, end quote. So he is saying that Geist is a process, that it develops into higher forms by taking over, sublimating, if you will, what is other than itself, nature, as well as lower levels of itself, of Geist. In other words, it builds on itself. So, that is it. That is why spirit is the truth of nature and what its purpose is. Now, let me stop for a minute. We have certainly covered a lot here. Someone could say after hearing all this, well, that sounds nice, but what has it got to do with anything? Where's the evidence for all this? Spirit, mind, what? You know, one myth is as good as another. Why should I buy any of this? Well, the answer depends on how one views philosophy, mind, and thinking for that matter. So let's get let's get clear on this. I want to turn now to a phrase often associated with Hegel, and that is speculative philosophy. We have discussed here before many times the difference between the understanding, German Verstand, and Vernunft in German reason. We focused on how these two ways of thinking may correspond to the divided brain, the left brain being more about understanding, breaking things down into component parts, and the right brain being more about wholeness, the big picture of reason. We discuss this in detail in episode 10. Well, speculative philosophy is all about reason, right-brained activity, wholeness. 
compared to reflective philosophy, which is more about separating things to understand them. Now, when someone says, how do you know all this about spirit? They're looking at it from an empirical standpoint, from the understanding, verstand, from their left brain. They want material, measurable proof. They want to construct something from its parts. How do you get there? But speculation is different. It's moving forward. It's a synthesizing process rather than a breaking down and an analyzing process. The Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy has a good explanation of this, and this comes from the section on Hegel's dialectics. It speaks of this in three steps. The first phase is the understanding, verstand, and that's taking the common knowledge of a thing or event. It is fixed, a fixed determination. It's not moving. It's, it's isolated and fixed. The second phase is the dialectical phase or negation. This is um, a rational process which um, in, in, in analyzing the fixed determination, it uncovers an instability in this understanding of something. There's something off, something amiss in, in this. The, um, the third phase then is the speculative phase where reason determines the unity of the opposition between the first two. Now, Donald Philip Vereen covers this very well in his 2007 book, Hegel's Absolute. Regarding Hegel's preface to the phenomenology of spirit, Vereen states, quote, A theme that runs through the center of the preface is Hegel's criticism of reflection and the, the understanding for Stunt as capable of producing true philosophy and his characterization of speculation and reason for Numpt as the replacement for this inadequate form of philosophizing. It's on page one of that book. Um, now, a skeptic might say, so what? I don't care about philosophy. It's all just air or something like that. However, Hegel believes that the understanding alone leaves a dead world. On page one of the, of the preface to the Phenomenology of Spirit, Hegel states that knowledge of various parts of the body do not tell you about the life of the body itself. He, uh, he also states in paragraph 51 of the preface, products of reflection, quote, are all equally products of the lifeless understanding and external cognition. So he's calling the understanding lifeless. He's calling external cognition lifeless. And this is what empiricism ignores, what science often ignores. And we talked about this extensively in the previous episode. Science cannot explain life, mind, or consciousness. In paragraph 53 of the preface, the phenomenology, Hegel says of the understanding, quote, a table of contents is all that it offers, end quote. So pretty clear here. You're not getting the big picture from just the common understanding. And Vereen says on page two of his book, quote, the understanding which proceeds through reflection on the object produces in thought a world that is dead. Reason, which proceeds speculatively, seeks out the principle of motion or life that is within the object that makes the object, so to speak, what it is. Speculative reason goes within the body to its spirit to grab its principle as a living subject, end quote. This is what speculative philosophy does. It finds the spirit within. This is why it is valid to look at things this way as a speculative philosopher, why it makes sense. Now, Hegel has an interesting take on this from his introduction to the encyclopedia. Paragraph 8, I quote, 
There is an old phrase often wrongly attributed to Aristotle and supposed to express the general tenor of his philosophy. That is, there is nothing in thought which has not been in sense and experience. If speculative philosophy will, however, on the converse side, no less assert, there is nothing in sense and experience which has not been in thought. And this may be taken in two senses. In the general sense, it means that noose or spirit is the cause of the world. In special meaning, it asserts that the sentiment of right, morals, and religion is a sentiment of such scope and such character that it can spring from and rest upon thought alone, end quote. This is a very powerful quote. Hegel here is summarizing perfectly what speculative philosophy is. It is the inner spirit. It is knowing the inner spirit that moves things and allows us to know things as they are. Spirit is the driving force in the world. It's it's Mind is not an epiphenomenon of matter, but it is the moving spirit between all and everything. Now, just a couple of final quotes here from Hegel. This is from paragraph 82 of his encyclopedia. Quote, people who rank themselves among the educated expressly speak of speculation, even as if it were something purely subjective. A certain theory of some conditions and circumstances of nature or mind may be, say these people, very fine and correct as a matter of speculation, but it contradicts experience and nothing of the sort is admissible in reality. To this, the answer is that the speculative is in its true signification, neither preliminary nor even definitely something merely subjective, that, on the contrary, it expressly rises above such oppositions as that between subjective and objective, which the understanding cannot get over, and absorbing them in itself evinces its own concrete and all-embracing nature. A one-sided proposition, therefore, can never even give expression to a speculative truth, end quote. And very interesting, Hegel goes on in the same paragraph to equate speculative philosophy with mysticism. Very interesting. Quote, speculative truth, it may also be noted, means very much the same as what in special connection with religious experience and doctrines used to be called mysticism. The term mysticism is at present used as a rule to designate what is mysterious and incomprehensible. And proportion as their general culture and way of thinking vary, the epithet is applied by one class to denote the real and the true, by another to name everything connected with superstition and deception. On which we first of all remark that there is mystery in the mystical only, however, for the understanding, which is ruled by the principle of abstract identity, whereas the mystical is synonymous with the speculative, is the concrete unity of those propositions which understanding alone accepts in their separation and opposition, end quote. So, there's a lot there. Can we, as human beings, still evolve? Of course. Will spirit drive us to new heights? Yes. Are we part of this? Is, is this part of our responsibility as humans? Of course. Absolutely. This is our job. This is our role. Um, this is our purpose. And it's never-ending. Um, this is our true infinity. Well, that's it for this episode. I want to thank you all so much for listening. Please tell your philosophically-minded friends about the cunning of Geist. And please, if you have a chance, rate and review this podcast where you can, on Apple Podcasts or wherever. This is Gregory Novak. This is The Cunning of Geist, Facebook page at Cunning of Geist. We'll see you next time.